Are you guys ready? Uh-huh. Yeah. Hi-ho. <laughs> <laughs> you got to be like more robust. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> That's my minimal hanky. That works so Welcome to the Arrogant Healthcare Marketing Bastards podcast for the week of October 31st, Halloween week. This is episode 125, and I'm not Chris Bevelo, I am Jackie Rotaco. <laughs> Chris did Heidi Ho last week. I'm the account coordinator at Interval, and I am joined by... Uh, Adam Meyer, creative director at Interval. Chris Bevelo, president at Interval. I couldn't do Heidi Ho two times in a row. <laughs> but apparently mine was unsatisfactory, so... <laughs> no, it's good. Just a very, just it a was, very subtle... There's so many different like <laughs> scenes I could put that in. Like a four-year-old who's on stage going... Yeah. <laughs> or the first time they ever tried it, like on South Park. They're like, they were, no, it needs to be more robust. <laughs> robust. More girth. Why are we talking about Mr. Hanky again? I mean, what are the odds? It He's all in the news. I, I think we should take full credit for it. As we always do. For Mr. Hankey. We talk about something on the podcast, and boom, it's in the news. I wish I would have come up with Mr. Hankey. You mean just in general or yeah. as, a, as a sponsor for colorectal cancer? <laughs> Both. <laughs> it is Halloween today, so boo. Oh, yeah. Boo. And I wrote, I wrote this down. I'm going to read it, even though it's lame. We have a veritable <laughs> plastic pumpkin full of healthcare marketing treats today. <laughs> Wow, Adam's shaking his head. <laughs> well, we've we've had some pretty in-depth conversations recently. Some deep, deep thoughts. So about we, Hanky? Deep thoughts. We have one deep thought today, and then the rest is just fun. It's Halloween. Let's have fun. It's not Halloween today. Not for us. Right. It's Halloween for you when you're listening. <coughs> but I'll silly candy. So we'll get to the deep thought here in a second, the short deep thought. But yeah, Mr. Hanky, we talked about him last week. And then in uh, healthcare news feed from Reagan. There was a story called, is this animated character the right mascot for rectal cancer? A comedian thinks the singing turd will get people's <laughs> attention. And they got a picture in the story, so we'll provide a link. But I just love that picture. Yeah, he's just floating in a toilet he's bowl. He's floating in a toilet bowl. With a Is this serious? Yeah, it's serious. Yeah. And do they have approval to use Mr. Hanky? Oh, let, me, let me tell you the story. <laughs> All right. You hold uh, on there. <laughs> comedian Michelle Dabrowski, who I don't, I don't think is famous because they kind of talk about her resume, and I don't think she's been in anywhere that you know. But <laughs> she has rectal cancer, and she's asking the creators of the animated series South Park to let Mr. Hanky <laughs> throughout this story <laughs> – just the descriptions they use are hilarious. <laughs> so this is from Ann Tracy Mueller, who's an editor at Reagan Healthcare News. Um, it just makes me laugh out loud like three times. So she's asking the creators of the animated series South Park to let Mr. Hankey, an animated piece of feces, <laughs> to be Jeez. rectal cancer's official spokesturd, says abcnews.com. <laughs> so she wrote an open letter to them uh, because she has uh, cancer. So in her letter, she said, yep, I've got cancer, rectal cancer, the funniest cancer of all, fortunately, and <laughs> frankly, a cancer with a big old marketing problem. You see, rectal cancer doesn't even have its own ribbon. The brown sure, ribbon. the colorectal cancer ribbon is a drab navy blue, and, but I don't have, brown? And I don't have yeah. colon cancer. Is the brown ribbon taken? 
What? Is the brown ribbon taken? I don't think there is a brown. Uh, well. Well, there will be now. Yeah, let's start it. Dabrowski suggests Mr. Hankey's creators pro- promote and license the piece of poop as the official <laughs> ambassador for rectal cancer. She writes, to generate painlessly, productively, and naturally, a perfect Mr. Hankey is the goal of my treatment. So then later it asks, what do you think? Is Mr. Hankey an appropriate spokes turd for rectal cancer? I think so. Why not? Anything that can raise awareness and he's not necessarily, well, I was going to say he's not, I was going to say he's not necessarily offensive, but I guess any talking piece of poop is probably going to be offensive (laughs) to some people. The comedian envisions Mr. Hankey plastered on ribbons, t-shirts, football helmets, and every other endorsable, colorable product in the world, including candy bars. And then the editor says, ew. Perhaps she could get Baby Ruth to cover some of its turd-shaped bars. With its, <laughs> it's okay. It's, it's okay. okay. It's just a Baby Ruth. <laughs> you know what that's from, Jackie? Yes. Darn it. Adam, you know what that yeah, is. Yeah. That's pretty Patty classic. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. <coughs> anyway, so. That's pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. Props. I just like the word spokesturd. Spokesturd. <laughs> I've met a few spokespeople who I would... Could could see myself referring to as spokes turds. Nice, an animated piece of feces. <laughs> That's good stuff. Nice from Reagan. Yeah, it's nice that they cover that in there. <laughs> okay, so we had to bring that up since it's a segue from last time. Um, let's talk about this, Jackie. You're going to lead us on this one. Um, it's we. I don't think we've really talked about this. We talked about pink. I think, and the report that came out, it was shown, in the, it was featured in the Harvard Business Review about how the color pink actually might do damage to right. awareness because now it's associated with something negative, so people, women tend to avoid it and um, whatever. But there's also been a lot of talk about a backlash against, well, pink and maybe Susan G. Komen and their approach to breast cancer awareness and research. Uh, so you've got a couple articles. Mm-hmm. Why don't you why don't you do. set these up? A couple both, of good sources. They're both they're both actually very different, but um, one is from the New York Times and it's called Welcome Fans to the Pinking of America. And it's actually quite a long article about um, basically about Susan G. Komen and I'll read a few excerpts here just to kinda give people an idea of what the article's about. Um, so in marketing the article goes on to say In marketing circles, quote, to pink, unquote, means to link a brand or a product or even the entire National Football League to one of the most successful charity campaigns of all time. Like it or not, and some people don't like it at all, the pinking of America has become a multi-billion dollar business, a marketing, merchandising, and fundraising opportunity that is almost unrivaled (laughs) in scope. There are pink ribbon car tires, pink ribbon clogs, pink eyelash curlers. The list goes on. Wait, let me add. In my neighborhood, you can order a p- fully pink garbage can. What? Can you really? Yeah. What? So, yeah. case in point, it's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. So, if you want to support, like, $2 of your garbage bill will go to breast cancer support if you have a pink garbage can. So, go ahead. Just so, want to say yes no, yeah. to, to reinforce that. So essentially what this article goes on to say is just that it's everywhere. And in another excerpt, it says, Like big oil, big food, and big pharma, big pink has its share of critics. Some patient advocates complain that Komen and other pink ribbon charities sugarcoat breast cancer, which kills about 40,000 American women and 450 men annually. Sugarcoat? Do they say what they mean by that? 
Sugar yeah, coke. well, let me... Go ahead. Maybe this will help kind of expand on that. Others complain that pink marketing, despite the many millions it raises for charities, is just another way to move merchandise. So maybe that's why they mean by sugarcoating. That's what, and that's just, again, to pull it back to my example, there was some flack locally for the sanitation company. Like, is this really to help breast cancer? Is this just a a marketing ploy? Right, right. And that it exploits cancer by turning it into an excuse to go shopping. And then some pink-themed products have no relationship with any charities at all. So, so a lot of opponents of this are not necessarily you know, critics of it, say that some charities spend millions more on promoting the medical status quo, annual mammography screening, that is, than they do on financing research into causes and preventions of the disease. So I think the, the point of this article is that people kind of question where Susan G. Coleman's Putting their money, it sounds like some of the cancer advocates, and then also I just think that it has a lot to do with people just think it's overdone, and it might even be trivializing trivializing cancer. It's losing its meaning. Yeah, I mean, really. Yeah, in some ways, it's been too successful. They've been too successful at at promoting this issue, and it's like anything that that, that people get kind of tired of it. Right. Um, but I also think, yeah, you hear a lot of, like you said, and the article says, a lot of people question, you know, it's almost like a machine right. where they're just generating more money, but the money is almost used to generate more opportunities to generate money. Right. And I don't know, I haven't looked into the financials or, or anything like that, but that's, you hear a lot about that. And that's separate from, you know, some of the people who have cancer. Well, separate from the idea that it's, um, you know, a lot of folks, usually women, are saying it's demeaning to tie pink, you know, because it's it's a stereotypical right, right. deal. So that's another one. And then the the article, the other article I think you're going to read, it kind of touches on how people who have breast cancer feel like this is not the right thing. Right. Well, in this article, it says that the the CEO's name of Susan G. Komen is Nancy Brinker, who I guess is the sister of Susan G. Komen, oh. which I did not know. But it looks like her foundation generated about $420 million in the 2010 fiscal year. And Just, the article, that's the revenue, but not necessarily that that's going to cancer right. research. Well, and it says they spent $141 million on public health education, including awareness campaigns, and spent $75 million on finance uh, million to finance medical research and about sixty-seven million to pay for breast cancer screening and treatment. Okay, so what were the two last numbers? Seventy-five and sixty something. Sixty-seven, yeah. So, le- so less than half the money they're bringing in is actually going to cancer, either. Right now, you know, you could say that the awareness is, and that's where people get kind of stuck. They're like, "We're well, spending all this money on awareness." The problem isn't awareness. The problem is research and right. people getting right. mammographies. Right. So quit spending so much money on awareness. Right. And so I think that that's just what pe- a lot of what people's mm-hmm. gripe is. Yep. I mean, I, I think, you know, in my opinion, you can't really argue that, you know, they've done an excellent job with their marketing. Mm-hmm. I just wonder if it's, I mean, it's, it's marketing genius. You see it on, you know, football players on yeah. the field and you just almost wonder if it's not being overdone. And, you know, my mom had breast cancer and I know that she's one of those people who, felt that if she was given another pink item or, you know, asked to 
you know, she just got so sick of the pink thing. And I think it is maybe the people who are actually, ex- you know, have it and exposed to it that just, I think they'd like to see the money go elsewhere. Like, I know that, for example, she would rather write a check directly to an organization than right. get caught up in some of this marketing stuff. But, Which is what a lot of people are, the people that aren't, who are opposed to this are saying, write it directly to a... Yeah. My mother-in-law right. had breast cancer. And she and her and that side of the family, not that my other side doesn't, um, pretty do embrace the pink stuff. Mm-hmm. And I know there was a debate on Facebook on, it might have been my brother's, my brother who also works in marketing on his wall. He had posted an article about this last year at some point. Might have been, might have been sooner than that. But I know there's one person who has breast cancer now who had chimed in and said that she likes the support or the how she feels with the pink stuff. So I, right. obviously it goes both ways, but I agree. I mean, personally, I feel like it's way overdone. Right. And it's just getting a little out of hand. But Well, and that's, you know, some people are huge proponents of this cause. Mm-hmm. You know, they do the race for the cure. They dress in pink from head to toe. And, you know, in my opinion, more power to them. I mean, if, if that's mm-hmm. the way you want to go. But I can also see where some people think that this is kind of commoditized. Right. A little bit. Commercialized. Commercialized. Yeah. Is that the right word? Well, both are the right word. Okay. Yeah. Good. Well, so then kind of, this is more of an opinion article from the Star Tribune um, titled Put Off by Pink. Um, it looks like a woman was, I'm assuming that this is, oh, she actually blogged about kind of being anti-pink. She actually had gone through breast cancer And she says here, I don't think there's anyone left that is unaware of this horrible disease. Maybe it's all the pink paraphernalia that's done it, but more than likely it's just about everyone. It's that just about everyone knows someone who is dealing with or has been hurt by this particularly cruel cancer. And so she goes on to just say that she finally kind of needed to speak out against the the pink movement. And um, she calls it, she actually calls it pink washing. And she's of the mindset that if you actually want to, if you actually want to donate to the cause and actually contribute to the research part of it, unless you know, I think she maybe has a problem too with the actual screening and just what they're actually putting their money toward. Then you write a, you know, she's basically advocating that you write a check directly to foundations. Right. So when you think about it, I mean, if if you can see where people would say, okay, you've done all this awareness work, you've convinced me as Joe Public to contribute however much money, a hundred bucks, 500 bucks to the cause, mm-hmm. I give you $500 and the majority of it goes back into raising awareness. It's like a vicious cycle. Right. And, you know, at some point you have to go, well, isn't the point to get me aware so that I contribute money to help cure right. Right. and not, you know, and obviously you need to continue to awareness, but I think people are feeling like there's too much. And again, well, and if those numbers were right, more than half of the money they're taking in is going right. right back out to drive more money in, which just seems like... Well, in the big events that specifically that Coleman does is like the race for the cure, right? I mean, the whole the whole concept is that the, that you are helping be a part of curing this disease. I mean, that's what they're trying to hammer into you. I mean, yeah. to me, it's not even so much... I mean, clearly, obviously, they, they, when they talk about the money that's being spent, they're talking about that it's being spent on awareness. Not that Not that mm-hmm. some isn't going into research and stuff, but it's... Yeah, it's this vicious cycle like you're talking about. Right. Yet the message that they're putting out in most cases is about finding a cure. So it's kind of like, it's almost right. like a lie to right. some extent. I mean, I think that's it, probably the wrong now, word. But now, yes. Yeah, it's, they're not intentionally lying, but I think right. you're right. I mean, initially, you can make an argument that we've got to get more people aware of this so we can get more money. And, 
But at some point when everybody's aware and everybody's giving a bunch of money, you got to start you know, flipping that formula so that the majority of the money is going into research, not into driving more money. I mean, right. it just – you and could almost might- say what if you stop spending money on awareness – you would you would lose a bunch of money that you're getting mm-hmm. in, but you're you're still going to be ahead of the game. Right. I think that's where people are, kind of do the math. I go, wait a second. I mean, and what what's that threshold? When do you hit that point? Right. I, to her to the point of this article um, from the Star Tribune, and she's like, you know, we're we're there, we're past it. You know, right. start right. putting this into research and stop, you know, with the awareness. People know about right. it. Nobody's going to forget because everybody's touched by it. So. Well, and people people call out charities when there's a high administrative, you know cost so i remember warren moon who used to be a quarterback for the vikings mm-hmm. had a charity and like 80 percent of the money donated to the charity went to the people who work for the charity yeah and if you knew that you'd be like so of every dollar i give 20 cents goes to the cause right and there are like national norms for you know what that should be but it should be a minority <laughs> mm-hmm. and and i'm not saying susan g coleman's that way but people are equating that same kind of out of balance with the money they spend on awareness. Right. Um, not that the executives and the staff of Susan G. Coleman are making too much or anything like that. Right. Uh, but it's the same kind of thing. If it's not going to the cause itself, then is it misused or could it be better used? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder what other people think on this. Let us know. Yeah. It is interesting. I, I have a feeling that people, you know, are very much a proponent of the pink movement and, you know, can get behind it. And some people are just maybe, it just seems like it's, for some reason this October more than any, it seems like it's just everywhere mm-hmm. you turn. I mean, toasters, you know, you'll play football tops players, and yeah. football yeah. players. And yeah, especially the, I guess the Cowboys have a special like co-branding deal yeah. with Susan G. Well, Cohen, and so. I think at some point you do have to worry about overexposure. I mean, yeah. that, that means you've done a great job in raising awareness if people are sick of it. But you certainly don't want people starting to turn negative right. when they start seeing things pink and go, you know, oh, geez, not another one of these. Right. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Yeah, thank you, Jackie. Interesting sure. talker. Here's another interesting talker. I found this. Um, actually, somebody tweeted this, and I cannot remember where I found it. So sorry, anonymous tweet guy. <laughs> Uh, but it's a, an article that's titled from the Citizen Times, which I don't even know what that is. I'm guessing it's a local paper where this happened. Stere- stereotyping remarks by Asheville-based mission <laughs> official stir outrage. So what's funny about this is a VP of marketing at a hospital spoke at <laughs> Shushmid. And some of the things she said, all Shushmid stuff is recorded, and you can go out there and buy right. it. Or if you, you, know, you attended, you get it for free. Mm-hmm. Well, a competing hospital got a hold of what she said and used it against their organization, and she had to resign as a result of it. Eep. And, and what, I'm going to try to read this. And at first you're like, when you, even when you read this article, you think, God, she really, she really did a bad thing, and maybe she should have resigned. But then when you read into it, you actually, I actually start thinking that somebody else is a bigger a-hole than her, and so much <laughs> of this is out of context. So let me start with what the, the story says. A Mission Health, so this is where she worked, a Mission Health spokeswoman resigned Friday after coming under fire for referring to, quote, lots of hillbillies, unquote, living in western North Carolina and describing an encounter with a Haywood, woman, Haywood County woman clearly, quote, not investing in dental care, unquote. Janet Moore, vice president of marketing at Mission, made the comments during an Arizona marketing conference presentation in which she also said Mission held a monopoly and was a 500-pound gorilla in Mountain Healthcare. 
So what you've come to find out is that her organization is in this heated battle with this other organization called Park Ridge. And they actually have the state legislators involved in this. So it was the, I believe it was the VP. Let's see if it's VP of marketing. Yeah, no, it doesn't say. Park Ridge Vice President Jason Wells said Park Ridge posted Moore's entire talk on a website critical of mission. So they have a website dedicated to being critical of the other Jeez. healthcare organization. Jeez. And they're the ones who brought it up. So it's kind of like they tattled right. to yeah. me. And, and to me, it's almost like an a-hole move. Well, when you said tattle, because oh, yeah. like when, when you said that the legisla- legislators were brought in, I was the first thing that popped into my mind was, oh, all right, you can't, you can't settle this stuff on your own, so you got to run to mom and dad. to. It, the whole thing so far sounds just like a bunch of kids like bickering. Well, they, they I mean, it goes to... Park Ridge is, has concerns that they are mono- the other part, mission is a monopoly and is choking them off from delivering care. Where you know, so it, it goes all the way to who gets care and how is it, right? You know, how is it? And there's something with state funding, and I I don't understand all of that. So that's what's behind the the real competition. Um, but here's the thing. So here's what she actually said. Okay. So you heard what the what this story said, she, right? She came under fire for referring to lots of hillbillies living in Western North Carolina. So it sounds like she's calling her own people hillbillies. Right. My first thought is when you're from a place, I'm from Minnesota, I can call us, you know, I can say Minnesota nice is a bunch of crap. Right. And it really just means you're uptight and you won't talk to anybody. Right. You're friendly with a smile, but behind it, you're not friendly at all. Because I'm from here. I can say that, mm-hmm. right? So part of me is like, if you're from a place where you're stereotyping hillbillies, you could say that, but it still might be demeaning, right? So, but here's what she actually said, okay? Um, well, I got to find it now. All right, sorry. All right, so the story she told was this. She told an antidote about taking her elderly parents to a remote part of Haywood County. Moore said he encountered a woman at her trailer, quote, that had in front of it some used appliances and old cars, which is not an unusual sight in our part of the country. Moore's father wanted to know what some pens in the backyard were for. At this point, Moore mimicked the woman living there with her best Haywood County accent, unquote, saying the pens held fighting roosters and curly horned sheep. My father said, lady, what do you do with these things? And she said, I sell them on the Internet. True story. So here you have a woman in, in a holler in Haywood County, clearly not investing in dental care, I can tell you, and she's doing e-business. So this is where they're holding up saying, see, she's being derogatory to her own people. Mm-hmm. Now, this is what it says next. During her talk, she did follow the antidote by telling those in the audience that she has, quote, used that example with our administrators to say, don't make assumptions about the people in our region because they may be rural and they may be poor, but these folks are using the Internet. So in context, she's saying, she's setting it up like you would expect these people to be idiots and right. not know what they're doing. And instead, this woman's got a, an e-commerce you know, business in, in this holler in the county. And then she says, Moore also said people might assume um, WNC, so the county, quote, has lots of hillbillies. So, and then she goes on to point out that you, know, you can't assume these things. So when she says there's lots of hillbillies, she's saying That's you may stereotypically think there's lots of hillbillies right. here, right. but so, we're more sophisticated than that. 
So people couldn't see through that? Well, it, it sounds like it was twisted. It was, yeah, it was the, well, yeah, the enemy, had... the other people said, see, she says, or hillbillies, right. whatever. My point, this is what she says in, in her defense. My point is that it's very important that we're not make assumptions about the people we're serving. That it's very easy to look at our region, and because of its geography, think, how sophisticated could these people be? The fact is they're very sophisticated. That's the point I was trying to make. When I think only, you know, so I don't know. What do you guys think? Well, I think I think that actually brings up an interesting point right there. We have clients who make some pretty general assumptions about their um, about their audience or their mm-hmm. communities as well, assuming that they're like not online or that they're extraordinarily blue collar, their reading level. And there's certain things that you know you can probably dig up some statistics on and find and get the get up the truth. But I think a lot of those are just like. Just mm-hmm. misguided assumptions and so many stereotypes. Yeah, easy yeah. stereotypes and, and just flat out wrong in many cases. This is and this is a great example of how mm-hmm. it, it's wrong. So I think you know, what the biggest lesson to learn there is to be careful about the stereotypes you apply to your to your audience. You know, if you assume that they are, you know, hillbillies or undereducated, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, you're probably a little off base with your assumptions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> It just it just sounds so petty for this other organization. Right. Oh, totally. It just sounds totally. like, yeah. dude, you must be a. I mean, I don't know the guy. Maybe he's, maybe there's a lot more to it, and that's the thing. I haven't heard what she actually said, so I don't know whether what she's saying is true. I don't know how you know bad this fight has been, but just from what I'm reading, even even but I still. think this paper <clears throat> misleads you by starting the article by saying. Mm-hmm. That she calls them hillbillies. It Are starts these... off by saying she refers to them as lots of hillbillies. That's not what she said. Right, right. If the recordings to be believed, that she says you may think there are there are lots of hillbillies here. Right. So that's the opposite. That's like somebody that being like saying you know you may think you know we should bomb Iraq, and then somebody taking out we should bomb Iraq, <laughs> right, and saying Chris Bevelo says we should bomb Iraq. Well, <laughs> that's, that's just horrible. That's what I mean. I'm still surprised that it's gone that far. That she's been let go yeah. after it was. Was she like, you know, or is she willingly? She resigned, yeah, but she, under she pressure, left. obviously. Right, right. So, well, so here's how the story ends. And this is laughter, and this is actually bad. Moore told the gathering that, okay, so she presented with the former CEO of the system. I don't know if he's former now or then, but Joe Demore. She told the gathering at Shushmed that Demore was a brilliant man, but technologically challenged. He used an overhead projector instead of PowerPoints. Damore called them <laughs> Appalachian PowerPoints. <laughs> and she's telling the story. She said, which I actually took great offense to, Moore told the Phoenix Gathering. I said, that's really not fair to categorize us this way. So she's even defending the people there when her own CEO says, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, these are Appalachian PowerPoints. Like, <laughs> we're too stupid to figure out real PowerPoint. And she's like, well, that's not really fair. They're making fun of themselves, so, yeah. Yes, I know, and that's the other thing. I mean, even at the end of the day, they're making fun of themselves. Think about how much, like, when you present or co-present or how much you make fun of yourself. I mean, well, we always do. I mean, maybe you don't need to worry about it because we aren't in heavy competition. Like, <laughs> Now, are these, these organizations, are, but it's still scary. are they both nonprofit, or is one of them commercial? Are they both I commercial? don't know. you got to read the story about it. There's but, something and, to but do I don't with know if the that's state. In but that, I mean, that, to my, my, what I'm getting at there is... That if they're both nonprofits, that is absurd for them to be like bickering and fighting anyway. I mean, that's just like it's one thing if it's if it's a couple of like private, you know, com- privately held organizations that are that are for profit. Um, but when you see nonprofits yeah. who are supposed to be in it for the betterment of society and the betterment of their communities, 
fighting with each other like that. It's like, really? Have you have you lost sight of what your mission is supposed to be? Well, but that's where it, that's where it goes deeper. It's not just they're it's not political. just competing for yeah. patients. They're competing for something to do with the state. And it's literally one big organization that is choking off the other. So the other one, I think, you know, if we looked into this, maybe fighting for its very existence. Maybe. I I don't know. But, of course, you got all these, like, you know, outrage comments in the article from, you know, Board of County Commissioners. (laughs) And the Haywood County Tourism Authority Director Lynn Collins had a similar take talking about how it's disappointing. And then... This is what it says. I mean, this isn't helping their cause. Visitors travel to Haywood County from across the nation for mountain vacations. The Great Smoky Mountains National Park with its elk herd in Cataloochee Valley is a big draw (laughs) as our conferences at Lake Janaluska Assembly, Art and Antiques in downtown Waynesville, (laughs) and skiing in Maggie Valley. (laughs) So, again, it's just like, I don't know. People are taking themselves way too serious. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on. We'd love to hear from people that know Janet or know what's going on there. Dan Dunlop's, I think Asheville is, now this just shows how ignorant I am. I think it's South Carolina. Yeah, I have no it's idea. It's one of the Carolinas. Yeah. Um, but, but Dan's not too far from there. Maybe he knows people there or something. You mean hillbillies. I'll Maybe he knows hillbillies. Maybe he knows some hillbillies. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, so we, I guess we only have two more things. That's it. So Adam was so good last week when he was talking about Siri and he wanted to go more into the iPhone. <laughs> we said, no, you have to wait. So now, is there anything, you know, what else can you tell us about the new iPhone? Is, there, is it spectacular in other ways beyond Siri? Uh, hmm. I didn't have anything prepared for this. Fast? Yeah, it's fast. It's uh, a lot of nice new features. Let me see if there's anything actually. What's, what's new about it that's, that you would call it that's, that's significantly different than what was there before? Uh, I would say the way that like your um, the way that your push notifications and your calendar and stuff is integrated into this easily easily accessible like I mean but, hey right here if you just swipe down from the top yep you know you've oh, always got cool. access to your all the latest notifications voicemails um, your calendar you've got weather right there now that's that's with the system too not right, just the because I have that yeah. too so yep. you, yeah and even if you had like a three GS and upgraded you'd have that built in. Um, so that's a cool new feature, which I use quite often. Uh, although, like, you, you've been struggling to get your calendars straightened out and stuff, because you've, which I think I you've got tried. now, right? Well, like, everything, every, they're pushing everything to the cloud. Which, right. So, you know, I have an iPhone, I have a laptop, I have a comp- Mac at home, and I have an iPad. So I have four different things. Um, before, the best way to make sure they were all synced was to literally physically sync them. Right. So now everything's in the cloud, and it automatically, assuming internet connection, updates everything. Mm-hmm. And it works. It's fantastic. So if I had something in my calendar, it automatically appears in my iPad and my iPhone without me having to, to sync. Yeah, it's awesome. But getting there was a complete yeah. cluster bomb, I and I ended up sending like a thousand iCal cancellations out to, yep. to people, most of them to Jackie. <laughs> Over the past year, but I had some clients go, Chris, I just got 10 emails from you saying that you've canceled meetings that have been held in the past six months. And I'm like, oh my God, it was bad. But that, I don't know if that's user error, but there were some things that didn't have a choice in. it clearly should ask you, if it sees that you're trying to send out 900 emails, it should stop and say... Are you, did you really want to send out 930 okay, emails? to be honest, it did. Oh, okay. It was like one of my <laughs> calendars. Like, yes, I'm sure. Because I want to get rid of all – you have to get rid of all your old calendars and move them to the cloud. Otherwise, you have duplicate calendars, and that gets ridiculous. So one of them, it said, if you delete this, 
then it's going to notify people that notify people that you've accepted meetings from or that you've sent invitations to that that meeting's no longer there. And I thought it meant Sounds like good. future stuff. Yeah. You know, so if there's like a pending meeting and oh. I've accepted oh, it, okay. you know, I didn't know I was going to go back in time and do it for, you know, a thousand <laughs> different meetings. Right. So, but it was the only way to get rid of that calendar. There was no choice. You could just uncheck it on your actual. I, yeah. And I did it on my old computer, which was not updated software wise. And there it said I could, I could delete all this calendar and I could delete and notify. I had the choice. And oh, so I, I said, just delete, don't notify. Right. <coughs> anyway. Way too detail Yeah. How's everyone feel about that? <laughs> Another great feature, and this is, we can leave it at this one, um, which maybe you guys already know about or don't know about, is that when your phone is off, and this is one thing that I always hated about, not just the iPhone, but pretty much any phone um, with a camera, was that if you wanted to rely, you could never, you, whenever there was like a Kodak moment with your kid, you never were able to capture it unless you already had your phone out and in camera mode. Right. Right. So if something was happening, oh, yeah. you're like, oh, yeah, and you're trying to get to your camera, and it's gone. The moment's right. gone. So now, if you just double tap the home button, you get that camera icon, and you can tap that, and it launches your camera immediately, and you can take a picture. Not if your phone is off. You mean if it's well, sleeping. If phone should never be. I mean, if you turn the power off on right, your phone. Right, that's what I mean. That's what I was just clarifying. I guess nobody ever really does, unless, you let it, unless it died. It's in but what if your mode? Dead, it's in sleep mode or whatever. Yeah, just, just yeah. standby mode Which is usually after five minutes for most people if they set yep. their phone that way. But yeah, so much easier to quickly capture. Like I could take a picture of Jackie right now. That's okay. That was a Kodak Don't moment right there. <laughs> I, I want to delete that immediately. Well, cool. I'm hanging on to the iPhone 5. Which so some people four? are speculating. No, 5. You're hanging on to the iPhone 5? I'm hanging on until it comes oh, out. Holding out Because there's speculation sure. there might be a 5 come out in February. Really? When, there's no, when they normally have announced their new phones. Well, I wonder Actually, if they that's normally be... announce them in the summer, oh, June, maybe July, I or something. Heard wrong. I wonder if that's yeah. just going to be a totally different phone than this one, and everyone well, who bought that's going to be There was a lot of speculation that it was going to have a teardrop back, whatever the hell that means. And that's it's there's a there was a lot. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of people who, if you listen to a lot of developers talk about, it, especially specifically the teardrop back, it's like the most illogical thing you could ever. I mean, if you think of the phone, it's designed to be able to hold like this, like this, like this, like this, if you wanted to. I'm, re- I'm rotating my phone right now since you can't see. What would teardrop mean? mean teardrop like, would mean that the back is tapered, like so it's thinner here and gets wider up here. Kind of it just curve, make it right? easier to hold in your palm? Not really, because if you think of like gaming, you hold your phone like this if yeah. you're doing a lot of games. How comfortable would that be? It's yeah, the stupidest know. idea that there is. So I don't think Apple <laughs> would ever go with a teardrop back because it's like entirely illogical for a device that you can hold in any direction. Right. It's right. fine if you're going to always hold your phone like this, and I'm holding it vertical right now. Like most phones. Yeah. So that is a myth that's just that's not going to happen that's like one of, there's a lot of people out there who like to like mock up what the new phone could look like and then get it online to get like lots of attention oh look at my beautiful illustration of what the iphone could look like um you've only done that three or four times right yeah right <laughs> uh and that's so that's where that kind of stuff comes from um so but a lot of those things are just they're just illogical assumptions at the at the core at their heart and so and that's one that's like not going to happen no. all right well we better wrap things up we just have one more thing and we won't really talk much about it, but we, ha- we, have, to give, have, to we have to give a shout-out to our old friend Chris Boyer, mm-hmm. who may be against better judgment <laughs> at the Mayo Reagan social media <laughs> conference I think he might have been week. drunk. Was he drunk? He, maybe he, he had to have been. <laughs> I knew he was going to do this because he, he told me, and he actually played a little snippet, but he got up on stage for his social media ROI presentation and finished it with a song he wrote on his ukulele which he performed in front of 
it looked like there was easily a hundred, couple hundred people there. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a lot of people. And so it was, at first it's one of those where you're like, <coughs> you're cringing because you don't know how it's going to go. And you're like, oh my God. <laughs> It's just, it's going to be embarrassing as hell. But he gets through it. He gets the crowd into it. It's really fun. They started singing with them. They, they, they stood up and there was like a mosh pit in front of him for a while. Yeah, yeah. He smashed the ukulele on the podium. And then right on Lee Daisy's head. Over his head, yeah. It was awesome. <clears throat> People were like fighting over chunks of the ukulele. Yep. They were ripping his shirt off. Dan Dunlop does mm-hmm. like a belly flop right in the mud pit. And yep. Yeah, it was awesome. The video's great. You should check it out. He was autographing bras at the end. Stuff like that. It was pretty, pretty epic. <laughs> we do have a clip Killer of it. Killer conference. Yeah. <laughs> we have a clip of it so if you want to check it out but you got to give him credit for for uh having the brass quijones to get up there and do that having no shame (laughs) yeah and having no shame but you know that's fun people do that so yeah gotta encourage all right we're out of candy that's it all we have left is the apple with the razor blade in it (laughs) which i will leave you by the way with the fact that there has never been a reported case of an of apple a, with a of, razor blade of a razor blade in any candy anywhere. How do you know ever. that? She because there's, I think it was in um, one of Malcolm Gladwell's books <laughs> or Freakonomics or one of those books like that where they said never, never, and they researched it. They researched like archives going back to the seventies. Never has there been a reported case of it. It's an urban myth. No hypodermic needles. No None, razor nope, blades. Nope. No. How about that? So trick or treat, everybody. Trick or treat, just bite right in. <laughs> Remember when they? I mean, I don't know if they still do, but you used to be able to take your bag of candy to the hospital and they'd X-ray it. No that way. Yes. You take it maybe to the that's air- a myth. Can you too, take it but... to the backscatter with you at the airport and hold hold it up above your head when you're doing the thing. Backscatter. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. Well, happy Halloween, everybody, for our arrogant healthcare marketing bastards podcast. This is Chris Bevelo, Jackie Ritaco, and Adam Meyer. Talk to you next time. <laughs> <laughs>